88FM. On air 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and online at j-air.com.au. Greetings, greetings, dear listeners. We certainly live in tumultuous times. This is Warren Wills for this week's edition on 88FM, Jay of the London Beat. We're bookending the show because um, we had so much fantastic, fantastic and thunderous and popular effusive enthusiasm for last week's show. We're going to do a slight replay. And um, there's been a few uh, life-changing events going on. Uh, more about that later. Sit back, enjoy the show. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of the London Beat. London Beat. Greetings, greetings, dear listeners, and a huge warm welcome to this week's edition of the London Beat. We have hit June, which means it's winter over here, it's summer over in... Uh, the UK. Uh, are they aware of it? Yes, it's not too bad over there. It's seasonally quite good. In fact, it's uh, Warren Wills coming to you 9am on 88FM J-Air with the London Beat on this fine Sunday morning. And in fact, I was reminded in the nicest possible way uh, why we do the arts, what it is about the arts that actually unites in a world that is so divisive at the moment can people only count to two? And they're only two. I mean, it's interesting. You look at um, the Knesset in Israel. For goodness sake, how many parties are there? It's like, what do they say? You put, uh, you put four Jews in a room, you get eight opinions. It feels like that in Israel. First of all, I'm not trying to justify for one minute the um, current um, Netanyahu government's policies, particularly toward uh, the Palestinians, both in the West Bank and Gaza. However, what I'm trying to say is that there is a myriad of opinion. And yet in so many countries, it's black and white. And I can't get over the fact that a country with 350 million people, I'm talking about America, you can only count to two. There's no shades of grey. You have to, and when you subscribe to one party, you've got to subscribe to the whole lot. You know, you can't support, you know, pro-life, but be against guns, but be this. I mean, anyway, I find it ludicrous. I find the whole thing so divisive. But I was reminded in the nicest possible way this week, how good it is to be involved in the arts. And we had a fantastic, a beautiful visitor who came over from Sumatra, Indonesia, a lovely lady by the name of Vanny Vabiola. Uh, and like Warren Wills, a rather unusual piece of alliteration that serves the end of the alphabet. This lady is a religious Muslim from a small place near Sumatra, as humble as you would like. And it was fantastic to actually share in a Friday night meal where half the um, time we were having a Jewish kiddish, and the other half that we are celebrating uh, Islam. And it was a halal, it was kosher, it was, and it was great. And there's plenty of people who had um, no religion. And we did a rehearsal together on the Sunday. We did a performance. It was a peace concert that happened on the Tuesday night. And Vanny is someone who clearly draws a considerable audience. She has half a billion, half a billion Viewing figures online, and she has personal subscribers of 2 million to her YouTube channel. And um, 
a rather unusual voice, an incredibly open, progressive, wonderful lady uh, who supports all the ethos and ideals that we do. And we did a, an event, and in the event, it was, um, it was great to see we had a very strong Chinese contingent. We had a strong representation of blind of children, making it totally intergenerational. It was totally multi-faith. It was totally multicultural, uh, as borne out by the number of um, Australians, Indonesians, Chinese, and in terms of not just multicultural. As you say, oh, listen, you've got five different uh, people from five different countries, but actually to, to actually bring a myriad, a diversity of of that culture onto the stage. So you have piano, which is primarily a Western instrument, with a violin, primarily a Western instrument, playing alongside a Chinese flute and an eru, which are both traditional Chinese instruments. And this is what I'm saying. This is, I mean, it's great fun. It really was. And it was, um, it was interesting as well, because the, um, that demographic that was shared on the stage was certainly mirrored by the audience. We certainly thank the Indonesian Consul General and his staff from the Indonesian Consulate in Melbourne for um, coming out supporting the event, and they were fantastic. Uh, it was great to see um, our friend, who is head of the um, Arab-Australia Chamber of Commerce there, supporting the event. And he was fantastic, as well as all the heads of the Blind Sports and Arts Victoria, Morrison Co., and uh, more than welcome, as well as a number of people with... Um, Profound, profound um, disability, um, who were there with mobility problems and so on. A number of people who are Jewish, a number of people who are Christian, a number of people who are, have no particular persuasion at all. It was great having kid dancers there. Um, fantastic work from the choreographer, Sephra Burston. It was fabulous. It was great having the fabulous, sizzling and wonderful uh, Sarah McLean in her fine aplomb, strutting her stuff, doing uh, Heroes and God Bless the Child. Uh, it was great. We had the alumni, um, a donkey alumni from Shanghai dancers, um, who fabulous, bedecked in the most fantastic outfits and parasols, and with a lady playing a guchin, a guquin, um, which is kind of like a, um, a strange-looking pedal steel guitar. Nonetheless, it was all fostered under a harmonious um, environment. It was a fantastic event. Vanny herself was sensational. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And featuring... The Young World Choir, who, um, it was just great, doing a, a tribute at one stage to Burt Bacharach, which is what the world needs now, and don't we just know it. Uh, that's what friends are for, how true is that, and close to you, which is a great sentiment. In addition to that, they were doing numbers from, of course, Night of Broken Glass, that we're going to be pre reprising for the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht in November this year. So congratulations to the Young World Choir, who were simply scintillating and wonderful. Many, many congratulations. Got to do a huge call out uh, to Jackie Denor, who uh, was just fantastic uh, in looking after the um, overseeing and supervising with um, her angelic generosity, uh, the after show um, supper, which was fantastic and how that was all coordinated. But uh, it really did remind me in so many ways just how wonderful music, music theatre and the arts can be as a way to genuinely uh, bring people together. And I was also minded in a similar way, here in Melbourne, um, this week, the Rotarians globally descended on Melbourne. 12,000 of them, would you believe, down at the Expo Centre for a four-day intense convention. The Rotarians, it sounds like people from other planets, sort of thing Peter Carey would write about. Um, they certainly did, and... Uh, 
again, yours truly managed to get involved on a Monday night. We were at the top of Eureka Towers doing a presentation for the Rosanna Project, which is a fantastic peace initiative to serve everybody in the areas from Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank, and particularly taking a viewpoint of the function and role of medicine in these things, which was brilliant. Uh, however, um, the added bonus of bringing an angle of music into it worked very well. It was a fantastic gathering. Thank you to our hosts, who were great. Thank you to Ron Finkel, who put the whole thing together. And our guests are Ellie Finkel and Ruth Rosen, who sang so angelically and beautifully. And it was very interesting, because there were a number of Palestinians there, so, of course, I immediately said, uh, do you know Ilam Al-Mudfai? And they dropped at my feet because they were brought up with him. He's a ledge over there and uh, loved dearly. And that was great. But the reason I say all this, um, and I have been, for the, as you know me, I've been off the grid for a little while, um, looking after a certain person on her recovery. And it was uh, out of the blue, I got a call from a friend of mine I hadn't seen for 10 years in Hong Kong. And she was over here, as it turns out, for the Rotarians, and she today, and today as I'm recording this, it's a Friday, um, and I caught up with her, and she used to be the president of the Hong Kong, Macau, and Mongolia Rotary next year. And now the reason I bring all this up, because I haven't seen it for 10 years, and I haven't been to Hong Kong, and I was there six months before the handover, and six months after the handover, and nothing had changed. It was decadent, wonderful, promiscuous, wild, and it was great in terms of openness, freedom of speech, welcoming, friendly, whatever you like. Um, things have obviously um, changed, and I'm not going to comment on that because... Um, and the reason I won't, uh, because I have too many Chinese friends and too much going on with China, and I'm not, I'm not going to throw 1.3 billion people under the bus when there are so many creative, talented, wonderful, generous, kind Chinese folks. So she was of the opinion, which I think is great, that the peace concert that we did on Tuesday to take across there next year, along with the masterclasses, interesting enough, which I did about 10 years ago, at the Hong Kong Academy of Performing Arts and at the Hong Kong Fringe with artistic director Benny Chia, who sadly last year retired. And uh, in addition to that, we are looking to do next year a particular piece of music theatre, cementing and forging a fantastic relationship between Australians, Chinese, Muslims, Jews, uh, Arabs, Indonesians, etc., focusing on a particular Chinese story and looking to do this with the support of the Chinese Museum here, led by Mark Wang, CEO. What I find interesting uh, about all this is there are so many opportunities in the same way that we're doing Night of Broken Glass in November, which tells the most remarkable and unlikely tale of the forever united relationship that Angela Merkel has forged into history between the Jewish people in Germany under Kristallnacht in 1938 and what they endured, and William Cooper, the Aboriginal Advancement League, here also in 1938. And, as I say, it's been forever immortalised. And to um, focus and look for a story in China as well. However, my friend Felicia is of the same opinion that looking after the amount of Rotarians in Hong Kong and Mongolia and Macau next year that it is prime to do a similar project that we're aiming to do here to take it across there. A huge thank you to call out, first of all, 
JP Jordan Brown doing the heavy lifting has been dealing with some of his own baggage and sorting it out in the nicest possible way uh, with his family in Italy, back on uh, what I say? Uh, terra firma in Blighty, UK, in England with family. Doesn't stop this man. He is a one-man force of nature, a tour de force as a composer, as a producer, as a bassist and all the rest of it. Fantastic. Can't wait to see him in the summer. Um, let's hope the fate doesn't intervene and we get across to London. Uh, so a huge call out to him and to Adrian Silas, doing some amazing work, always does. Let's hope we can uh, refloat Genesis to Broadway. Um, now we have so many more contacts the older we are. We have so many more uh, connections in the world, um, which should be fantastic if possible to do something there. So huge call out to Adrian. John Farns and J.F. John Farnsden. A man with a literary background, a man, one of the most published living authors. I think the only other person that comes close is that man, the Mr. L. Ron Hubbard, um, who certainly didn't write as diverse. Uh, a wider repertoire as Mr. Fanden certainly has inhabited over a writing career spanning more than 40 years. And I think you'll find that L. Ron Hubbard, uh, as a writer, isn't necessarily, in terms of literary terms, the greatest writer in the world, and also um, really was a purveyor of fiction. Whereas I, find, I think we'll find that Mr. J.F. John Fanden actually serves in the real world some incredibly productive, useful. Um, works at the moment, is doing so much incredible work about protecting, looking after, promoting, publicising and championing the oppressed community, artistic community in Belarus, in Russia, and of course the whole rises thing going on in Ukraine, and West, uh, which is about English-speaking theatre across the world, and certainly an incredible program uh, to be working on. Uh, so many of our other friends are doing fantastic work over in um, England, including Miss Janie Dean, who is over at the National Theatre in a piece about uh, Richard Burton, would you believe, uh, that is currently on at the moment. I see Susie McKenna is directing a piece over at the Kilner Theatre. Uh, it's called Elsie and Flo, uh, which tells the tale, a, a lesbian tale. It seems rather appropriate. Uh, I'm glad they're doing it in London, because I imagine in plenty of uh, places, if Uganda is anything to go by, you'll probably go to jail for 25 years for even a mentioning that you were in a play like that. Uh, and in, America, in fact, Florida, you might end up going to jail for mentioning you were in a play like that. Anyway, it's another story. But a huge call out to all our friends. Um, yes, looking forward to this week's programme. And just a reminder, we can all get on. We don't need division. And we can use music to bring us all together, music and the arts. It has been a profound uh, year and a challenging year in so many ways. But uh, anyway, plenty to look forward to. This is Warren Wills. This is Jair. This is the London Beat, 88FM. Last portion of the music you are, of course. Listen to this week's edition of The London Beat.
Yes, and a huge warm welcome back to all our listeners for this week's edition of the London Beat 88 FM JR Sunday morning 9am Melbourne midnight Sunday morning just the crowning glory, the jewel in the crown, the coronation, Prince Charlie. King Charlie, the new king in town. What I was trying to say before, actually, I was going to say it would be somewhat churlish or skittish of me. Churlish is a better word. Um, To completely undo the entire legacy of Barry Humphreys based on perhaps perhaps some ill-advised comment, perhaps their intentional comments, uh, um, like a lot of the Dame Edna stuff, um, intentionally said in order to um, provoke and inspire controversy. Who knows? Um, However... Onward, says I. Um, I mentioned about the chess thing before, which happened in Kazakhstan, and yes, and we had a, a Chinese chess champion, Ding Liren, first time we ever had a Chinese chess champion. It's a far cry from the um, explosive USSR, Soviet Union days, uh, when Boris Spassky played um, Bobby Fischer. Uh, they were amazing, what used to go on. It was quite incredible. Uh, we had a television series about it, but it's never really fully captured the um, public's imagination. Ricky Ponting, IPL, Indian Premier League. Well, some Australians, Cameron Green, coming of age, Marcus Stoinis, um, some of them doing amazingly well. Some of them, David Warner, uh, well past their sell-by date, and uh, poor old Ricky Ponting, who must be a ruthless taskmaster, is no doubt getting uh, rather pissed off about suffering such a huge indignity about coming last. But there you go. In the meanwhile, over in, uh, in UK... In the UK, what a turnaround for Wrexham. Wrexham, for those who don't know, is in Wales. And I have been to Wrexham. It is an unnoticeable little place in, uh, like, Rill. You have these little places in Wales. And in Wales, a lot of people speak like that. Oh, yes, boy, a lot of people of the Welsh. They have a very singy-song way of talking. But anyway, um, you'll find that uh, Ryan Reynolds and... McHelhenny reportedly paid around £2 million, $2.5 million for the non-league club. And uh, they won. They've uh, shot themselves in, with, in glory, had a massive celebration in Wrexham. Uh, will be loved forever and ever. And they've got them into the, uh, the upper echelons now, into the main league. Not into the Premier League yet, but certainly into the um, top divisions. There's four divisions over there. And they are in. Alan Kogosovsky's got a concert coming up of Beethoven. Beethoven Sonatas, The Moonlight, The Appassionata, and so on. It is um, the 28th, I believe, of May. Watch this space. We'll give you some more words. I was talking about, before, they were talking about the explosion, and it's an exponential explosion regarding AI, artificial intelligence, as a result of uh, various... Um, various apps that have come out, and the way it's, um, yes, becoming closer to be a self-fulfilling property, uh, prophecy like it was in Terminator, the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, with uh, GPT and Bard and others, and reminded me a lot of um, Stepford Wives, in a way, which was the uh, Ira Levine, who was an extraordinary writer, A Kiss Before Dying, Rosemary's Baby, this perfect day, the boys from Brazil, uh, born uh, August 29, New York, died 2007, awards numerous. But anyway, uh, Stephen Weiser, it's interesting. Ira Levine wrote the book. Then there was a horror film, which was uh, so-so. Then there was a remake, which was dreadful. But Ken Hill, whom I worked with on Zorro, wrote a script. 
but he put a fantastic twist at the end that somehow certain messages and words got into the um, the women, so-called women in inverted commas, AI, artificial intelligence, robots, like revolt and rebellion, uh, etc. And they fought back and they killed all the men, which is a fantastic final twist. But yes, there, you can see um, people are becoming quite alarmed. I'm just wondering what becomes a more significant um, threat to humanity, climate, climate change or AI. It's a bit of a race to see which comes first. We shall see. During the coronation, I'm also minded by the fact I remember in 1980. I was working with the Bouncing Checks, led by Richard Piper. We were in London. We were doing a gig somewhere when Live Aid was on. And just as we started, Paul McCartney came on stage. It was on televisions everywhere. And those um, hardened and foolhardy souls who were in the room fled to watch television. So we ended up stopping and watching televisions ourselves. It does make you wonder how many shows were on doing matinees when the coronation was on. How many people actually attended, wanted to see the matinees, would rather be seeing the coronation? Who knows? We're going to pause for some music. You are, of course, listen to this week's edition of The London Beat.
edition of The London Beat coming to you live at the um, pastry centre of South Yarra in the lovely Laurent. Sitting opposite me is a man who's wearing a, somewhat of a frown, somewhat disturbingly, returning from the freezing climbs of the UK back to a sunny Melbourne. Welcome back to the show, the choir master of uh, Trinity Choir at Melbourne University, Mr Chris Watson. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thanks. Now, there is a reason you are wearing a rather long face, and it's not genetic, yeah. so do share. Oh, there's, uh, it's the state of the public support of the arts. It's just a hit of, there's been, there's been a slap in the face. The UK has, has until next month, one of the finest full-time professional choirs in the world, the BBC Singers, celebrating its 100th anniversary at the end of this year, and the BBC have just announced that they're, they're binning it. They're giving the singers three months' notice, 20 full-time musicians unemployed in three months' time. The only full-time professional choir in the country has well, been disbanded. More of a wake at the end of the year rather than a celebration yeah. for the centenary. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry you, the, uh, you are the uh, bringer, of, uh, not even the harbinger, this is actually happening, yep. the bringer of such bad news. Uh, is it just singers who are receiving the chop? There are uh, 18 full-time singers plus two um, directors, managers. Right. And then on top of that, the BBC orchestras are losing 20-30% of their members. They've decided they want to increase their offering to freelance musicians. Right. In other words, they can't be bothered to pay pensions and job protection. Correct. You know, they've dressed these things up as a good thing, and it's just cynical money-saving. And they could save all the money they wanted if they just sacked Gary Lineker, you know, who's already a multi-millionaire and Correct. talks about football. But uh, this shouldn't come as a surprise, because what we did learn during the lockdown worldwide... We learnt, certainly in Australia, that musicians are the bottom of the barrel, they are the scum. And if someone is wearing a tennis racket or a football, they will be put inside a protective bubble because, of course, they are providing an invaluable service to the community and society, whereas musicians clearly are not. Exactly. And clearly, as is evidence in the UK, particularly London in the West End, no economic benefits at all, not to no, retail, I mean, to tourism, hotel, to nothing, really. Thousands of people that come each week to Melbourne to see Hamilton don't spend a penny in any of the restaurants or shops or hotels, do they? And interestingly enough, I think you'll find that Harry Potter is an exclusive deal only to Melbourne for 10 years. Nowhere else in South East Asia could go on. But I guess they don't spend any money either, do they? Well... It's very, very short-sighted. Well, what an appalling state of affairs. And we were just commenting on the fact that it used to be that uh, being an arts minister was quite a full-time portfolio. It's a bit of an add-on to now, yeah, isn't it? they're in charge of roads, aren't they? And they do the arts in their spare time, minister, half an hour in the evening. Minister of Roads, those picking, and occasionally the arts. So as a, it's a great pity. Now... On a brighter note, you're back here because you're in full flow with the Trinity Choir. Yes, semester one has just started. But looking into your crystal ball, what's on the horizon? Well, we've just released a new recording of the music of Eric Whittaker, which came out on Spotify and all your favourite um, digital platforms last month. Our favourite pirate platforms. <laughs> well, no, hopefully people will pay to listen to it. Aha, uh-huh. and you've received royalties in the past from Spotify? No, of course we haven't, but it's nice if we can um, if just get the plays up there. It's, it's, good, it's good generally. Absolutely. I only say this, and uh, for those who, who know what I'm talking about... I think about, if you have a million streams, you earn enough money for one pint of beer. Something like, I've, I've got 25 so albums. So, 25 albums on Spotify. I can't remember signing an agreement allowing any of them to go on, and I've never in my life seen a royalty from them. Good on you, Spotify. Anyway, so... Well, we, I, I, I don't use Spotify personally because they don't pay artists well enough, but as... 
professionally as a choir director, it's a really useful way of getting your stuff out. And my organisation at Trinity uses recordings as, as recruiting and as advertising. Right. So it's in, in, in other words, it's I see it as an ad, part of our advertising rather than something for a return. And I'm in a very fortunate position that I'm funded. Whereas you know, if you're a freelance musician and you made a recording, you actually have a right, I think, to make some money out of it. And Spotify does not. How dare musicians come on this program and somehow think they have a right to be paid? Again, talk us through the, uh, the activities you've got lined up for the year. So, yes, Trinity, we have the CDs coming out, so I'm, we're going to do a few performances of that particular piece. The most exciting thing for me this year is that I'm taking the choir to Europe for three weeks. And leaving them there? <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> What have you got? In, what's in store in Europe? Well, we're starting off on a little church in Rome called St Peter's. Right. Um, the, the Anglicans are being allowed to pop in and sing a mass for them. Right. I imagine the Pope won't be there. We're spending a few days in Rome, and then go to Florence, and then a week in Dublin, a week in Cambridge, and finishing off in the southwest of England at my old university city, which is Exeter. Very, very nice. I, t I take it you've done Italy before? Yes, lots. And uh, I'll tell you what, that Michelangelo, when he's walking his way around us. Peter's, he's not too bad. No, exactly. So there's some nice things to look at and my space to sing it. Because we're primarily a liturgical choir, we do a lot of services when we're so it's a combination of church services and concerts. Very, very nice. And in the UK, very nice going to Dublin. How does it work over there? You enjoy it over there? Yeah, I, I've used to sing a lot with the National Chamber Choir of Ireland. So I've got good friends in Dublin, some nice contacts. And by then they will be a part of the EU, they won't, there will be a mythical border, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one, isn't it? It looks like. Well, let's not talk about politics. I, I, yes, I'm. I'm looking forward to being in the European Union. It's very good. Very good. Very much at home. <laughs> very, very good. Now, and also in terms of the numbers of people and permanent members, I take it your choir is made up of men and women. Yep. We say this, of course, today we're celebrating International Women's Day, and I know you are out there spending big. So the the uh, sopranos and altos in the choir are going to have a ball this week. They are. Yes. No. Th and they're. They are particularly good. Actually, I'm very lucky. We have a soprano section this year, is the best I've had. Right. I've had seven new students, five of them from New Zealand. It's extraordinary how, it's not extraordinary, it's wonderful how well they sing, right. how well trained they are, and it makes me think I want to go to New Zealand a bit and spend a bit of time with their youth choirs, because they, they're very, very competent. They sing well, they do have one or two issues apparently with cyclones, floods yes. and earthquakes, you would have missed all that being away yes. in sunny and climes in, in London. Of course their vowel sounds are even stranger than the Australians, but... But um, I'm ironing those out. And how, so how many permanent members do you have in your class? 27. And each year do you have to recast? No, I, I, I don't re-audition those who want to stay. I find that a little bit divisive. But I guess, yeah, I, I decide not to do that. Once they're in, they're in, unless they really mess up. But we always lose a few every year because they move on, they leave university or go to get jobs. So seven newbies this year. Now, in the immediate future, what, do you have a performance coming up in Melbourne in the near future? The next big performance in Melbourne is in the end of September in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Well, 
we'll all be God knows and it's we'll who be, knows where we'll be we, uh, all the choirs will be usurped by artificial intelligence by then won't they it's a, it's a world premiere of a piece by Mary Finstrad with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra fantastic and they very occasionally they have a wonderful chorus which is a large amateur chorus um, amateur in the best sense of the word uh, but occasionally they need they ask smaller choirs to do more complex stuff so Mary's writing this piece at the moment right. and so we're giving the premiere of that in the cathedral in the Catholic cathedral in September well Again, more grist to your mill, and here at the London Beat, we believe that you are providing an invaluable service to the good denizens of Melbourne. We are going to pour some music, and we wish you the most fantastic year, and hope that you uh, continue to get paid for the great work that you are doing. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, we're going to pour some music. You've been listening to Chris Water in conversation with Warren Wills. This is, of course, the London Beat.
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Music, mayhem, gratitude, entertainment, culture. It's all here and with supposed uh, time changes that bring us a little bit closer, two hours closer, if it happens in synchronicity, with Europe to nine hours from London at Warren Wills 88FM, London Beat JS, Sunday morning at 9am show. Now, we are here, of course, to celebrate culture. One of the great gifts that God created was the art of writing, one of the finest exponents of perception, insight, prose, all the rest of it, is a Mr. Frank Housem. A man with whom I had the great pleasure of working on Genesis to Broadway. Chopper, the musical, which, don't ask me, it's coming, let's talk about it later. And it's going to be big, given this new, uh, brave new world that we live in. Uh, two guys and their songs. Elvis, for goodness sake, if you can't sell Elvis, you can't sell anything, can you? Now, being a bit of a, a fan of the aforementioned eponymous writer himself, Mr. Frank Housen, I was thrilled to receive such an insightful, it's like a short story, a novella, an essay almost. It's called Sherlock's Final Hours. I'm going to read it to you. And for those who, um, who are regular listeners to our show, I say good on you, good taste you have, folks. And no... But I'm a huge fan, you'll know every now and again. We do um, The Raven, Edgar Allan Poe, and particularly Christopher Lee reading it because it's just exciting. Now, I don't possess a vocal cords with the same mellifluous mastery as the great Christopher Lee, but however, let's have a listen to Sherlock's final hour. Please listen to this story. It is amazing. Brilliantly written by the wonderful Mr. Frank Housen. Sherlock's final hours. It seemed like the perfect time. The sun had almost slipped from sight and the light was the thin thread between day and night. Holmes sat at his window and watched the approaching darkness with a morbid fascination. These days, he had time to do such things. The great detective was no more because the great cases were no more. The only offers that came through his doorways nowadays only insulted his intelligence and belittled his talent. He missed his genius nemesis Moriarty. There was no one to measure himself against anymore. By finally defeating him, the great Sherlock Holmes had signed his own death certificate. Like the greatest of duelists, they lived to outpoint each other, tingling with the excitement that the first one to flinch would be dead. They had given each other life felt at its excitement, sorry, felt at its highest ecstasy. Everything after was a series of small deaths. Now, Holmes was battling that most insidious villain of all, old age. When it attacks, it attacks on all fronts, he'd remarked on occasion. Life had now revealed how lonely it could be. He'd never gotten around to making friends. People only interested him if they were a suspect of some kind. The only companionship he'd known was that of his associate, Dr John Watson, a conservative man in all ways, who disapproved of the cocaine use, the untidy apartment, the late-night violin playing, and Holmes' short temper with potential clients. Although he wouldn't class him as a friend... Holmes had grown fond of Watson and his plodding behaviour sometimes amused him. In recent years, in recent years, even Watson was gone. Lost to marital bliss, whatever that term meant. Holmes had scoffed when Watson had told him of his intention to take a wife. Whatever for? Don't I give you enough problems to occupy your mind during our working hours? But take a wife, Watson did. Even Mrs Hudson was gone. Sometimes Holmes would try and remember her face but couldn't. He was sure he'd never really looked at it. Not really. She was just someone who was there 
and there wasn't. He had tried not to notice women, even the most beautiful were denied a second glance. He feared them. They were detractors from one's real purpose in life. To look into that abyss too long would render you the great nothingness of normalcy, the hypnotic funeral drumbeat of one's true ambitions. He often said of them, women that is, how can any man build a foundation on such shifting sands? He would never find out. There had only been one woman, the woman. He had sold every case but one. She had outsmarted him. He had underestimated her, and her parting gift to him had been public humiliation. In a way, he found it strangely exciting that she'd gotten the better of him. Not a day had gone by since, since that he hadn't thought of her and wondered what she was doing. Although he'd only seen and spoken to her several times, the relationship, in his mind, had continued for years. Once again... He thought of her as night descended. He rose from his chair, picked up his violin and placed it back in its case. There'd be no more music either. He walked to his desk and opened the top drawer. There was only his friend, the syringe. It was the only thing that could ease his mind and take him to a dream state where time stood still. He loved rituals and took great care with his final one. He fixed himself with enough cocaine to blow up most hearts, then went and sat back down by the window, looking out at the street life below. It was night time now. He heard some of the street boys running past, yelling at each other, some taxi cab, wealthy people to the opera, a prostitute negotiating with a loud drunk customer, and a baby crying. It had been a grand life in many ways, he thought. But he was going now before he became an embarrassment to himself and those who admired him. He wasn't sad. In fact, he was calm and relieved. His heart and mind were now racing. His life flashed by, yet he seemed. His life flashed by, yet he seemed to be able to save every image as though being reassured he had truly lived. Seeing it all put together like this made him smile. Yes, it was a life indeed. And now he would get to experience the last mystery and solve that one too. He was already gone when Dr. Watson knocked on his door at 9.24pm. The next day, the street boys, the street boys would be selling newspapers, detailing the death of the great detective. Watson was angry that the story had only made page three. But Scotland Yard had taken credit for most of the cases, and Holmes was reduced to the status of a sometimes advisor and famous eccentric. It was typical, thought Watson. He crushed the paper in his hands and ripped it in half. Nothing could subdue his rage. Then somewhere far off, he thought he heard his dear friend laugh. Frank Housen. What a beautifully creative, emotional, insightful, and not indulgent, but witty perspective, not just of Sherlock Holmes, but a sort of a, a particular approach and an attitude to death um, and having control of it. Uh, I find it particularly powerful and moving. Well done. Bravo, Frank. We're going to pause for music. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of The London Beat.
idea was as all good things must come to an end and indeed this week's edition of the London Beat is no exception uh, over in London at St John's Wood NW8 at Lord's Cricket Ground England are currently playing Ireland which believe in the cricket and nobody cares there is a world championship going on where Australia plays India in the cricket and no one will care but you just wait till the ashes once the ashes come alight and sizzle with baseball, as they call it, and all the rest of it, it will be on for young and old. For those people who are heading across to London for the summer, have a great time. Uh, make sure you go to the Shard and the Barbican area. Go to St James and St Martin churches whilst you are in the centre of town in Piccadilly. Go to Greenwich. It's fabulous. Go to the Shard. Uh, plenty to do. I see that the French Open is on. Um, hmm, so much is tinged with it. Again, with, with bits of uh, politics and entitlement and spoilt behaviour. Anyway, it's another story. Um, a huge call out to our dear friend Sharon D. Clark. Currently has resilience on in New York. And why not? What a career. And what a talent. Um, a huge call out to our dear friend. Ilamar Mudfire, who's over there. I noticed that um, when yours truly was um, working in Amman, became an honorary Jordanian, that the Crown Prince of Jordan, who was there to receive me, got married this week in a rather splendid, from what I understand, uh, marital event. So good luck to all of them. We are going to end today by saying, um, I noticed that John McLaughlin is touring here, there and everywhere. The man is approaching 80. So good for him. I see Tina Turner, how sad, um, is lighting up heaven with her raunchy, incredibly energetic style. Succession has finally come to an end. Isn't it funny how we got so fond of people with such appalling personalities? And it says so much about drama and theatre. Nice is kind of comes across as boring. We always said that in pantomime that if you're playing some deliciously wicked villain, there's so many more opportunities to engage an audience in your acting skills than if you're playing just a, a sad, nice character. Nonetheless, we look forward to the privilege and the pleasure of your company same time next week. This is Warren Wills wishing, wishing you all a very safe, inspired, united, happy farewell for this week's edition of the London Beat.
Greetings, greetings, dear listeners. We certainly live in tumultuous times. This is Warren Wills for this week's edition on 88FM, J.A. The London Beat. We're bookending the show because um, we had so much fantastic, fantastic and thunderous and popular effusive enthusiasm for last week's show. We're going to do a slight replay. And um, there's been a few uh, life-changing events going on. Uh, more about that later. Sit back, enjoy the show. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of The London Beat.
תמיד בתוך אני אוהב לישון וכך עובר לי כל היום כמה זה טוב מידה עם שמיכה של פוך J-Air is committed to diversity and inclusiveness for the Jewish and broader community. J-Air.com.au Hi, this is Mark Kopolov with a reminder that you can support J-Air by joining as a member at J-Air.com.au Your membership fee of $54 a year will help J-Air maintain its commitment of bringing your community to you. Hi, this is Manasha Kaltman reminding you to tune in to our program Hot Kugels. Please tune in to 